It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but there's no need. Something in your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no sheets. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. I fire in the fire, but the system doesn't gang. The government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the security beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a nexus of non-negativism in a nonsensical world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand articles, posts, videos, podcasts, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife and known as... Nurse Amy. And together we are the dynamic duo. We are the courageous couple, spectacular spouses, masters of disaster, and we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Wait, masters of disaster? You I mean... just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of sounds like we create disaster. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> masters of... Uh, of, disaster preparedness. Defending against disasters. Defending yes, against disasters. All right. Disaster defense. That's a little uh, short. Masters of disaster defense. Yeah. Well, uh, Still a tongue twister, <laughs> though. Work in progress. That's a work in progress. <laughs> That's okay. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a maniacal monkey? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nursing Me's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship is in, it exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Pretty good. You're doing pretty good. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care Whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, modern and standard medical care, the miracles of modern medicine. But when someone pulls the plug, all you got left is a hug. Uh-huh. No, you don't, but there is a lot you can do. There's a lot that can be done, but somebody's got to be ready to be the end of the line when it comes to keeping their people healthy when things go south. And that someone might just end up being you. So show the world you got more sense than a basket of barracudas and get some training and education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and the quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge you've accumulated? And what better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated 
Never equal medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster, make your workplace, school, or church safer, and they're designed by a real-life doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, and you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. But don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. On top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account. Just let us know you need the paperwork. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us, so give us the skinny right from under your scalp and connect with the geezer and the goddess. It's easy, so easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. You're not going to sing it? I'm not singing it this time. Okay. (laughs) You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival of Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Like, subscribe, uh, what else? Follow? Yes, I think that's the word. (laughs) Doom and Bloom Facebook page. There you actually will get pretty much everything that we do. We funnel it through there, so it's a one-stop shopping. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones Nurse Amy. That's right, and our other podcast all about current events. That's American Survival Radio, now broadcast from all sorts of land-based radio channels throughout the USA. And don't forget about KYH Radio in Utah, which carries this podcast, the Survival Medicine Hour. Thank you guys for your support. Hey, we got our mm-hmm. certificates from our, certi- our training in Advanced Wilderness Expedition Provider. Yes. And so that was pretty cool. Week, and though. we got, we probably can paper a wall with all the various diplomas you and I have both accumulated <laughs> over the years but we have we actually don't we don't Wallpaper. really you know since we stopped practicing medicine actively and in an office of course mm-hmm. we had them all up in the office but uh, they're just piled in a corner right now yeah I know we just have a gathering bunch of dust gathering dust that's terrible because we should we're actually pretty proud of all our training gosh almighty yeah, i guess so that is yeah. <laughs> it was hard i guess i try to forget all that hard work <laughs> i'll tell you it was it was hard work and this so, one here yes. actually involved doing a lot of rope tying and putting together people in, oh, this in litters and all sorts of stuff it was physical yeah it was really pretty and the test was crazy yep i got all scraped up we were in like boulders and yeah, rocks yeah. And, <laughs> and transporting people trying yeah. to move patients yep. that are in like weird crazy positions hanging from rocks absolutely yeah, yeah. that was um that was something else pretty dude. nuts but yes. it was you know what it's Took all a worth few days it days of recovery <laughs> it's all worth it and me. we have some awesome got, got some awesome pictures of the area that was big sky montana we were also we're in oh, it's really yellowstone pretty. national park which was beautiful we hiked a little bit there we also hiked a um, little bit yeah a lot actually uh <laughs> grand grand teton teton national park is teton, very that's right yes very beautiful. Actually, there was uh, some haze there from the California wildfires the first couple of days. But uh, luckily, that sort of went away, and the views were just beautiful. Maybe some of the most iconic mountain views with the lakes at the bottom and stuff. It was really 
Awesome. I'm sorry we keep talking about this every week, but we uh, really enjoyed our, right. <laughs> our visit. Yeah. It was I know a we lot mentioned it last week and the week before, but it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. That's right. Well, the reason why I mentioned it this time uh-huh. is because in the training scenarios that were involved with the uh, Advanced Wilderness Exposition Provider course uh-huh. were many of those that dealt with people who are injured in falls. That's right. Right? And that can yep. happen whether, whether you're on the backcountry trail or, or in your own bathroom. A fall can seriously cause damage. It can cause orthopedic injuries. It can cause bleeding, traumatic brain injuries. Gosh, all sorts of serious, serious stuff. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report that one in five falls results in some kind of major injury. And all told, falls account for probably millions of emergency room visits and at least, according to the CDC, 800,000 hospitalizations a year in the United States. Of course, besides physical trauma, you know, there's actually a mental cost to falls. Many people, especially if you're getting along in age, who fall become sort of afraid and tentative. And this fear can cause people to become just naturally less active because they don't want to fall again. And when someone, especially an older individual, becomes less active, well, they become weaker. And guess what that does? That increases their chances of falling again. And that's truly a vicious cycle. Now, many risk factors exist that predispose people to falling. Uh, On the trail, there's uh, the loss of balance on an uneven terrain. That'll do it. A Mm -hmm. poorly supported backpack could be to blame. Of course, footwear. Footwear, footwear, footwear. Badly fitting footwear gets you in big trouble in all sorts of different ways. Now, it could lead to blisters and pain, which it oftentimes does. But if you are in any type of really uneven terrain, really going uphill, really going downhill, well, the pain that you get from, let's say, blisters may actually affect walking and balance. It may cause you to stumble over an obstacle, sustain an injury. You may favor a part of the foot and, you know, walk funny as a result Mm -hmm. and just be plain old off balance. Absolutely. It was, it's funny you're mentioning footwear because we actually saw families that were in these areas of Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Park wearing flip-flops. And sometimes the parents were wearing better shoes, but then they have these, like, dollar-looking or pedicure flip-flops that were probably 10 cents each on these children, on the trails. Inappropriate footwear. Big, big problem. You do not want to trip and fall on a rock or something um, another thing, and I'm sure you were going to mention this, are just obstacles on the trail and not just a log or something big like a large rock, but it could just be, let's say, a raised root from a tree that's sort of going across the trail. And it's, uh, it may only be up an inch or two, but you're paying attention to trees and skies and maybe, you know, plants and animals, but you don't you're not looking exactly where you're walking and i know one of our things that we were doing when we were walking is heightened sense and alert for what were we looking to make sure bears for bears (laughs) there was a lot of bear activity in the area and we didn't get to see one thank goodness right at least and i tell you the warnings were everywhere they were on the trail they were before you got on the trail Uh, there it's so bad there 
they rent bear spray. Right. You know it's bad when you, when there's actually a little kiosk. A business that rents bear at, spray. Right. At the trailhead. Successful business. That <laughs> rents bear spray. In other words, don't go out without bear spray. So for us, our heightened awareness was not so much where we're replacing our feet or the obstacles on the trail, but it was... Gee, is anything chasing us? Uh, right. <laughs> or do we see anything? Right. Uh, there was one particular trail when we took uh, the ski lift up mm-hmm. in Big Sky, and we walked down, and it was a zigzag, zigzag trail down. Right. Through forest. But it was extremely rocky. Yes. Ton. It was a lot almost of rocky like, stuff, like someone in- just threw truckfuls of gravel all over the trail. I mean, Talk about an, a, a hazard. Every step was a hazard because if the gravel moved under your feet, of course, we were hiking down the mountain we had just rode up on. We could have slipped. Uh, it was just really harrowing. Well, <laughs> it yeah. took us a while to get down. And that's one of the differences between what we saw west uh-huh. on the trails and what we see in the east and like in the Great Smokies. Uh-huh. Usually it's a bunch of roots. Yes. See, the roots are the big thing in the Smokies. That's right. And the rocks are the big things in the Rockies. Woo. So it's pretty impressive. And, and the thing with you mentioned with bears is actually sort of important because let's say you have a blister mm-hmm. and you're walking sort of gingerly on that area or, or, or trying to emphasize another a little area pressure right. on another part of I the foot. I had a hot spot while we Imagine were walking. Imagine if you had to run. Yeah. No, I know. I had Imagine a hot if you spot. Had to run on Do you that remember one? on yeah. my left foot above yes. the small toe? Uh, right. right above that. Right, right. Um, that happened a few days. It never actually turned into a blister. I got very lucky, but I could feel it. And I'm sure anyone else who's had a hot spot understands what I'm talking about. So th- that puts your focus on your foot and sometimes not so much where you're walking. That's right. <laughs> so you have to be careful. And you know, again, talking about fall prevention, not just on trails or when you put yourself on uneven terrain, but in the house. At home, right. You know, clutter, uneven steps, wet bathroom floors, poor lighting, all of this stuff puts you at risk for falls in the home. Just a rug. Having a rug on a a flat floor, it, it doesn't have to be a five-inch obstacle that you trip over or a 20-inch obstacle like a coffee table. It can just be that suddenly there's a half-inch rug there and you didn't pick your foot up when you were starting to move your leg and right, throw just, rug, right. just knocks you off balance. And then, and not only the problem of, of falling, but it's what you hit on the way down. Well, I'll tell you, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that because we went to Georgia last year Mm -hmm. and we actually found an auction. Actually, drove drove by this auction of this estate. And I turned quickly. In the middle of the country. Do you want to go to this auction? In North Georgia, yeah. Yes, so I. So we went into into this uh, property and this was an older gentleman, very well to do, that actually put up a. An entire Revolutionary War community. era town or community. Right. He had a chapel. He had a, school a tavern, house. schoolhouse. He had a tavern. He had a post a, office. A post office. Yeah, he had a post office. He had he had a home also, and all of these were built according to specifications 
from the 18th century. And sure enough, he had a pretty significant flight of stairs. Not spiral, but just like two or three sections. Yes. And, and sure enough, he passed away as a result of a fall. Of a fall. Down one of these staircases. And this is why you and I will not have stairs that we live in permanently. That's right. Unfortunately, the house in Gatlinburg is just a two-story house. There's nothing I can do about that. But if we ever move again, I will have a ranch home. My father has had two knee replacements. When he moved, I said, Dad, don't get two stories. You're not old, but you're getting older. And sure enough, it's been a few years, and he's had two knee replacements. Well, you know, I'll tell you one other thing that is an issue with maybe with your dad because uh-huh. he's on various medicines, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And and but also people can, can be on, and this is a problem either on the trail or at home, is the use of medications, especially people that use sedatives or tranquilizers. Well, he doesn't do any of that. Antidepressants, <laughs> psychotropics, blood if pressure. You, if you do, if you have medicine, but some of these medicines do have as their side effects a sedative effect. You don't well, know. Well, if, if you take too much blood pressure medicine and your blood pressure drops, you can get dizzy. There you go, and that could easily lead to a fall. So dehydration so can make a, you dizzy. Right, right. So these are some a of lot the things, of things that not you, eating. You can easily. Some people forget to eat, and their right. blood sugar goes down, and it kind of makes you dizzy and unstable and you can fall yes and so that's uh, a pretty major thing let's talk a little bit about uh, the some of the most common fall injuries of course falls are the most common cause of traumatic brain injuries most i mean you may read about somebody getting their bell rung in you know a football game but in reality most people injure their themselves or hurt hurt their head injury or have a head injury because they are indeed falling. So let's just reemphasize that it's not so much your ankle that we're worried about. It's hitting your head. And also, I mean, I don't know specific statistics, but, but personally, what I think would be the worst thing would be a head injury. The second one would probably be a hip injury. And you're right, and we're going to talk about all these things. Am I right about about the... Yes, those are two two of the the worst things. The first one being the worst, and the second, the hip fractures being possibly the second. Well, those are two two serious injuries that can occur as a result of falls. Right. Uh, Now, of course, most head injuries are superficial. They're not life-threatening. You might have a little cut in your scalp. You might get a black eye. You might have a painful bump on your head, but... There are a lot of wounds that can hide damage inside the cranium, which is a part of the skull that contains the brain. Some people call it the brain case. Um, Injuries that affect the brain are oftentimes called traumatic brain injuries, and it's important to recognize when trauma to the skull has caused damage that's more than just superficial. Now, concussions, those are the most common type of of traumatic brain injury. We're going to call them TBIs uh, from now on. A concussion is associated with a bunch of symptoms. Well, these are symptoms that are usually right away you can tell that something has happened to this person. And the presentation does differ from person to person, but you might think that losing consciousness is the most common symptom of a concussion, but that's not true. It's actually headache Mm -hmm. is the most common uh, symptom that people have. 
The, pain, the victim oftentimes remains completely alert. Now, but there are other symptoms. Yeah, those can include dizziness. They can con include confusion, nausea, loss of motor coordination, uh, blurred or double vision, a slurred speech, a ringing in the ear. Some people uh, get that. That's called tinnitus, by the way, tinnitus. Uh, and, of course, difficulty in concentration. Some people just are so foggy that they cannot function. Uh, a person with trauma to the head can be knocked unconscious for a period of time, but most of the time they'll wake up within a couple of minutes. You can expect them to be foggy, and they may very easily behave inappropriately for a period of time. You may have that foot like that football player that doesn't know which way is up but says, put me in, coach. Right. You know, right. I I actually bopped my head again the other day. Remember? On my temple? Yes, you did. You, you whacked I yourself pretty good, you poor thing. And I was dizzy. Yep. And so you could have had a mild concussion. Yeah, I know I did. I didn't lose consciousness, but it, yeah, it's like getting your bell rung and you're like, "Whoa." Now, a lot of people don't forget the don't remember the events immediately prior to the injury. How about you with that one? I do. You did. Okay. So you may not or may or may not have gotten it. I can't remember what I hit my head on. Ah, well, there you go. I told you what I hit my head on. Do you remember? I don't. But then again, I'm senile, so... <laughs> You're not senile. I'm very senile. Very, very senile. It, I only know is it wasn't a sharp object, but it, I, I, was look, I, think I was looking down at something, and I lifted my head up, and I, and I hit something that it... You bopped yourself. Right in the temple, which is not a good spot to get oh boy well in. probably a good idea not to have sharp objects <gasps> or objects with sharp corners as yeah. part of your <laughs> furniture yes. you're going to be doing that a lot Let, let's get padding right. <laughs> let's just pad everything well anyhow if there is loss of consciousness if there is loss of consciousness yes. even for a short time it's a pretty serious concern. you got to observe that person very closely for the next couple of days, really. You should make sure that they don't have evidence of uh, any superficial injuries. Get those taken care of. You know, if he needs a stitches for a scalp laceration, deal with that. Uh, uh, and determine that the patient can indeed move all their extremities equally on each side. Mm-hmm. They have normal strength on each side. You could easily do this by just having them grab your two fingers with both hands and you try to pull, tell them to hold tight and you try to pull your fingers out from their grasp. Are they weaker on one side than another? Uh, have them close their eyes and put their arms in front of each other. Does one arm drift or do they stay relatively even Stephen? So these are some of the things that you would have to look at to see if there have been some damage. Sometimes these even can be a sign of a stroke, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. So anytime somebody has a significant injury, they should rest for the remainder of the day. And when they go to bed, you should consider awakening them every couple of three hours to make sure that they are easily aroused. Remember that sometimes there could be bleeding that occurs inside the skull. Yeah, that that's is the, the case, scary thing. Right, that is really that, scary. That is what really scares me. I, I think you and I can heal just fine from a fracture, maybe not so much from a hip fracture at this age, but it's, it's those brain injuries that are really, really scary. That's why I don't want a house with stairs. There you Even go. if we move, we're going to have to have a ranch. All right. Well, we always have to make sure, clean up those spills and make sure that the rugs, whatever, if we have rugs, make sure that they're not 
bunched up. I try places. not to have a lot of rugs. That's true. That's good for Honestly, allergies. Honestly, we too. don't have rugs. That's good for allergies too. Is not we to have, have a one. lot of rugs. All right. Well, in any case, um, the good news about concussion might have had mm-hmm. is that they cause. Wait, what's my name? What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> They usually cause no permanent damage, except maybe in this case. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, you know, there are a lot of people that whose job, I guess, if you're a football player or you're a boxer, you... you it's to constantly get you hit know, in the head. Sometimes you get whacked up, whacked up multiple episodes of hell, head trauma occur over time. And, and if that's the case, well, you know, there should, sure enough, could be a lot of damage. If you ever saw Muhammad Ali in the last years of his life, he was a Poor mess. Thing. Poor thing. Yeah. I had no brain left, really. Well, anyhow, there are a number of signs and symptoms which identify people that have had a serious TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury. They include uh, a prolonged loss of consciousness over two minutes, and certainly over 10 minutes, you really have somebody who's in trouble. Um, Convulsions like seizures, uh, worsening headache over time, nausea and vomiting that occurs, uh, bruising around the eyes and ears, that's called raccoon sign, bleeding from the ears and the nose. Uh, or, or the drainage of fluid from the ears and the nose, which could be spinal fluid. That is really, really, really scary bad. Stuff, right? Bad, bad, bad. Exactly. Uh, worsening confusion. These people may become very drowsy, may become very apathetic. Um, if there's pressure on one of the optic nerves, then one pupil might actually become suddenly dilated, more, much more dilated than the other. <clears throat> there are a percentage of people in which that happens naturally, by the way. And, of course, if you have a a major injury to your brain, you may have an indentation to your skull. You may have fractured your skull. So, over 10 minutes of unconsciousness, you have to suspect the possibility of a significant injury. That is something that is very, very important. Uh, The bruising, bruising, if it happens, occurs behind the ears. We call that um, battle sign. That's something that you, you have to definitely look for. A raccoon sign is when there are um, uh, black eyes. Sometimes they could be on both sides. So these are, are big issues. You know, in, in these cases, in normal times, please call 911 as soon as possible. If you have the ability to take vital signs like pulse and respiration rate and blood pressure, you should monitor them closely. Uh, and you should immobilize the victim's head Make sure that you also immobilize the neck and spine in case those are also injured because that could easily happen. Now, you have to always make, remember, A, B, C, A stands for airway. you got to make sure the airway is clear and B, the breathing is regular. And that is something very important. Even if they, they're not really responding too much to you, at least you know that you have somebody that's taking in oxygen. Now, bleeding... Um, behind the ears around the eyes those are a major sign remember the fluid that drain drains out of the ear and nose if it's clear or bloody clear uh, it could represent leakage of spinal fluid and the problem is what the bleeding that you can't see you can't see the bleeding it can be all intracranial in other words inside the skull and what that does is that accumulates and it can cause pressure that presses up against the uh, nerves uh, or it presses up against the brain and if that situation occurs well you're going to have some major issues and that person needs to be taken to a modern health facility if possible immediately in the old days they used to do a procedure called trepanation in which they actually would drill a hole in the skull in the hopes of 
of relieving pressure. They actually have, um, they do that in a, in a modified version called a burr hole. Mm -hmm. They do burr holes in the skull uh, if they're, they've identified and located the specific area where a bleeding episode has occurred and there's an accumulation of blood. Archaeologists have found very, very, very old skulls with perfect holes in them. Yes, that's right. And that have healed some, too. Exactly. You can tell the ones that, that survived the surgery and the ones that didn't because the ones that survived the surgery just have the hole. And the ones that healed actually have sort of the hole sort of filled in a little bit. Now, what we don't know is why they were doing that. Did right. they think there were evil spirits right, in there? Right, right, getting evil spirits Did someone have, have a bad behavior and they thought they were letting the bad behavior? We don't know why. Was it some religious thing? Uh, and, again, was it a medical treatment? Was it people who had severe headaches that they right. were doing and it? How we would they know that? How would they know the the function of the brain? Right. You know, people used to think that, you know, it was your heart that you know, determined your, you know, courage and other yes. business, yes. but it's your brain. How did they figure that out? I, I don't know, and we, but we don't know why they were putting the holes in her, but we do know that these were live patients, like you said, because there was some bone growth. Right. Uh, so a little bit of healing. Exactly right. It's pretty amazing. Now, fractures are a big issue. You mentioned that earlier, and there are a number of different ones. The hip is one that's serious, very serious fracture that you mentioned. But you can also have wrist fractures, arm fracture, ankle fractures, just about any kind of fracture. Um, let's start with the wrist. We'll, we'll work our way up. Uh, the wrist is made up of about eight small bones that connect to the two forearm bones. And mm -hmm. so the funny thing about a broken wrist is though a fracture can occur anywhere along these bones, right. the, an actual broken wrist is, actually, is more likely to be a fracture of the end of the forearm bone, mm -hmm. the larger of the two forearm bones, that one's called the radius. And so in a broken wrist is actually really sort of a broken forearm, although it is close to the wrist area. Fractures uh, may also affect the upper arm, called the humerus, is the bone that you have in the upper arm. You have two bones in the forearm. I mentioned the radius before. The other one, the smaller bone, is called the ulna. Uh, trauma from a fall can also cause not just fractures, but can cause dislocations. And so dislocations of the shoulder or the elbow or other joints are sometimes things that you'll see that are not that uncommon. And in either case, what happens, whether it's a fracture or a dislocation, the limb often appears sort of deformed and you have to realign it and immobilize it if it's going to regain function. And we call this a reduction. And in most cases, in normal times, it's done under general anesthesia and sometimes involves a, a significant surgical intervention, putting in pins and all that other kind of business, especially mm -hmm. for fractures. Um, you're not going to have that option, so you may actually have to realign a bone yourself. Sometimes if you're alone and you don't have somebody that can stabilize the other end of the where the fractured bone is while you pull the bone straight, well, sometimes you have to put your that your victim in the crook of a tree and have that crook of the tree uh, with the arm sticking out or the leg sticking out be uh, your assistant, so to speak. So this is uh, pretty terrible stuff because it's extraordinarily painful, but if you don't do it, they may never regain uh, the function of the area. So that is something that is a, a hard reality. You'll One of the many hard realities there are in survival. Um, 
ankle fractures, those can be seen in falls, but of course so can sprains. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. By the way, when a, a sprain occurs, when a ligament, which is a fibrous brand of tissue that connects one bone to another and holds together a joint, is injured. That's called a sprain. Now, that's different from a fracture where the bone is actually broken. Sprains and fractures are sometimes pretty difficult to tell apart. Both appear swollen, bruised, painful, but fractures tend to be more painful. And one way to tell if is if the victim can walk away at all on the injury. And there is something called the Ottawa Rules that determine, um, that give you a hint, let's say this, give you a hint as to when somebody actually has a major fracture or whether somebody has just gotten a sprain. And the Ottawa Rules, in other words, when you really need to take an x-ray. This is not, this is meant for modern medicine, but it actually has some, I think, application for off the grid. Now, the Ottawa Rules say that if a victim can't take four steps on their own, it's probably a fracture. And I would probably say less than that in, in a, lot of, a lot of cases. Um, pain when touching the ankle bone, we call that the malleolus, uh, the ankle bone on the inside of your leg is called the medial malleolus, and the lateral malleolus is the one that sort of points to, towards the outside of your leg. So if you have pain when you touch that area, and especially if you touch higher up on the, on the leg bone, lower leg bone called the tibia, and find that it hurts down there, that is more likely to be a fracture as well. But pain below it, where you have a lot of ligaments, so below that bone, if you feel your bone there, go below it, you have a lot of ligaments right under there. If the pain is mostly below it, most likely you have a sprain. In any case, you got to immobilize these injuries with splints as soon as you possibly can to prevent further damage. And of course, if a fracture, you oftentimes have to cast it, which I think we've talked about before uh, in uh, on the show. Yes, you have. Now, what you were talking about was a hip fracture. And Ooh, a hip which fracture is really scary. Is terrible, and, and that is a break in the and usually in the upper part of the thigh bone where it connects to the pelvis to form the hip joint. And this is most often seen in people with um, not a lot of calcium in their bones right. or who have experienced an extraordinarily severe trauma. Oof. Okay, so you see a lot in even, elderly even people after a regular fall. Yes, you're right. It happens usually in elderly, but it can happen to uh, younger folk if they sure. just hit in a crazy position let's say someone's skiing yeah an extreme skier, skier would certainly or car accidents yeah car accidents are also very commonly very seen where you thing. see that yes so pretty bad because this bone is ordinarily very very strong yes so goodness. you know you'd have to have a lot of trauma to that area right. or that you have to have lost a lot of calcium from that area right to make the area brittle to make it prone to any significant injury. By the way, that um, loss of calcium is often referred to as osteoporosis and occurs more in women that have passed the menopause. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> a person with... A... Things to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. I, well, when you, when one day you reach that point, but we have many years before we hit that. <laughs> uh, now, a person with a hip fracture is going to have a couple of things that you'll notice. It has an inability to move or put weight on the injured side whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Will have severe pain, bruising, and swelling. And if you take a look at that victim, 
then you'll see that the leg is actually shortened on the side of the injury and the extremity is facing outward. That's the most common type of hip fracture. It will cause the extremity to sort of be facing outward, sort of towards the side and facing outward. And I have to tell you that this is a truly, truly serious condition. For an older person, it's life-threatening. It, uh, they yes. did a study on women who suffered a hip fracture, and they were twice as likely to die within a year of the fall than the average person. Right. So this is a pretty serious thing, and you need to have surgery to repair the damage. And it's a recovery that's pretty darn long. People wind up getting blood clots in their legs and other kinds of complications. It is a big issue. So how do you prevent falls? Here's some strategies that might prevent falls. Let's say, here's how about falls in the great outdoors? On the trail, you want to use walking sticks or poles when we're on uneven terrain. There's a reason why you see people walking around with these walking poles, look like ski poles. That and, and they are basically using them to steady themselves as they walk up and down uh, uneven terrain or, or slanted terrain, things like that. So that's one thing that's a good idea to make sure you do that. If you have a lot of backpack weight, well, you want to center that on your hips and not your back. You can injure your back and cause, it, cause you to be enough, in enough pain that you may not pay attention to where you're going. You may wind up falling. You want to slow down. Mm -hmm. Slow down. Yes. Do not try to break the record for the trail. and Just watch where you're stepping. That is the most important thing. And take care of your feet. You may get off balance from favoring a blistered area. That is something that's very important. So break in your shoes. Walk around the block at home, you know, uh, a few times before you consider going out on the trail. That is something I think that really is important. Uh, you should also always be careful of slippery rocks when you're crossing streams. A lot of these rocks, even rocks that are a pretty good size, are not stable and they will move under your weight. So you have to be really, really careful. And, and even though I'm talking about rocks that are probably a good size here, on the trail, you're going to find a lot of loose gravel in areas where there have been glaciers. There's something called scree, which is all this little gravelly terrain. And if it's on a steep incline, whether you're going up it or down it, well, sure enough, you are easily a candidate for having a fall as a result of, of slipping on this scree. Now, here's some advice for the home. Get rid of all that clutter on the floor. Yeah. Clean up the place, for goodness <laughs> sake, and stop hoarding all that stuff. Okay? Or if you're going to do that, put that in one specific room so that the re the remainder of your house, the common areas, are not part of your uh, risk areas. Absolutely. And if you get a lot of medical supplies, put them in plastic containers and pile them in some air-conditioned corner somewhere. If you can... And have, have it very organized with labels and make sure you have a to-go medical bag. So something that you don't have to sort through all of those plastic bins. You just know this is the one that I have to take if I've got to go right now and leave my house. That's right. So our, for example, our grab-and-go entire line of medical kits. Line of grab-and-go kits now. <laughs> so you have a bunch of, bunch of kits that are all put together, nothing all 
separated that's out. You right. want it ready Very to go. Organized. So that's why we call our kits Grab and Go. With education. That's right. And <laughs> you can find them at store.doomandbloom.net. There's my shameless plug for the remainder of the show. And I'm cleaning up books that we have. I'm organizing our books here. Oh, my God. Our thousands books of books. <laughs> that's yeah, great. Well, well, that is a long-term project. This yes, room, a, a lifelong project. That's what I'm doing. Well, more advice for the home. Clean up spills immediately. If you drop any water on the floor, for goodness sake, dry it up immediately. Somebody is going to be walking by and is going to wind up falling, and that's a big problem. Now, if you got older folks uh, or if you're unsteady for some reason, you know, add, attach some railings or grab bars where it's appropriate, you know, near, so people can get up, let's say, from the tub or you know other areas of course railings where you have stairs these are very very important and you know what i think is really a good idea and you know it may you may have laughed when you were young when you saw the commercial that said help i've fallen i can't get up the truth of the matter is if you're got old folks that you're not there with all the time consider a medical alert system for these people they do have the tendency to fall and they can really get hurt. So do not fool around with this. Make sure that the elderly have a way to connect with you and to connect with medical care yeah, if there system. is an emergency. Yep. Now, in general, this and this advice works for both the home and for outside, consider decreasing the use of alcohol or medications that cause drowsiness or make you dizzy. That, that goes for prescription or over-the-counter drugs that, Always consult your health care provider. If you think some medicine is not treating you right or, or making you a little less alert than you should be, you should consult your medical provider, see if there's any alternative. There usually is. There usually are actually a number of different alternatives for every medicine. Uh, you want, of course, maintain your leg strength and balance with exercise. If you can't do a lot of exercise at the gym, well, you might consider yoga or you might consider, uh, you know, uh, low-impact yoga or you might consider Tai Chi. Tai Chi is a Chinese form of uh, slow movement, low-impact type exercises. a really good option for the elderly, not because it makes turns them into uh, super aerobic, you know, cardiac fiends, but it actually is very good for balance purposes. So that is, I think, a really good idea to introduce your family to Tai Chi. Uh, consider vitamin D supplements to help strengthen bone. That's always a good idea. Or get out in the sun a little bit more so you can <laughs> make your own vitamin D. Uh, make sure your vision is clear. Make sure your vision is clear and watch where you're going. That's important. If you have problems seeing, then you're obviously going to miss some obstacles that might be in your way. You're going to wind up falling. And even if you have great vision, you probably don't have night vision. So if you, unless you're walking around with night vision goggles, anytime you go up to go to the bathroom at night, well, turn night the, turn night lights. Night lights. Right. Night lights. Turn the, turn the lights on. Avoid walking in the dark if at all possible, and you won't wind up getting in trouble. I mean, I'll tell you, in life, there are always bumps on the road, but that doesn't mean you have to trip over them. Don't let a fall be the end of the road for you and your loved ones. That is my advice. Good message. That's my advice to you. Um, 
You know, last week I talked about summer's relentless California wildfires. It's claimed, gosh, at least a dozen lives at this point, destroyed more than 1,200 homes. And forest fires are horrible, but a fire in a building is also, you know, every year millions are at risk for and thousands of people are killed or injured by fires in the United States. Many of these deaths and injuries could be prevented if you had some knowledge of the nature of fire. You got to understand a few things about fire in order for you to decrease your chances of one occur in your home. One, most people who die in fires don't die because of burns as much as they do from suffocation. Remember that fire consumes available oxygen that you need to breathe. And what it does is it also produces a lot of harmful, toxic gases, smoke, things like that. And if you inhale even a small amount of these, they can often disorient you, depending on what's burning, and affect your ability to respond appropriately. Now, even if there's little smoke, there are some poisonous gases that are invisible and odorless. Carbon monoxide comes to mind. And some people who die in bed in a fire, they, they find them dead in bed, appear to never have woken up at all. And that occurred probably most likely as a result of inhaling these toxic substances. Now, that doesn't mean the bodies can have burns on them, but they're, they can have burns on them, certainly. But they are oftentimes not the cause of death. Of course, fire spreads, and it spreads rapidly, and it really goes out of control. It can, uh, even a small fire can go out of control in less than a minute if you don't extinguish it rapidly. And many house fires occur at night when everybody's asleep, so oftentimes it's very unlikely you'll be there in the first minute. So it's possible for smoke and flames to engulf an entire building before you're even aware of it. So make sure you have multiple, multiple Fire extinguishers have them all over the place and have them where you can easily reach them. Because sometimes rooms can combust all at once. That's actually a firefighter phenomenon. They actually have a word for it. It's called a flashover. You probably have also heard of this, of this a backdraft. And that's what happens when you open hot doors. That causes a fire effect called a backdraft that appears almost like an explosion. Uh, three, if the fire, if the environment is on fire, well, believe it or not, it, even if there's a fire going on, it's likely to be dark, not as bright as you think. There's a lot of black smoke that can easily make it impossible to see, see clearly despite the presence of flames. And, of course, besides that, it causes eye irritation, which also makes it difficult for you to see. So not only is this the environment possibly going to be very dark but you can have eye irritation that makes it difficult for you to see and that leads to confusion as to where the best avenues of escape might be that is something that is really important to think about uh, four heat from a fire can burn you even if you're in a room that is not on fire you can, you can breathe in superheated air that can burn your lung tissue and that and Burns in the lungs are much more lethal than burns on the skin. So you, your, your lung tissue is very, very delicate. That's why it's inside you, and that's why you don't have lung tissue. Your lungs are not outside of your body. <laughs> Good thing. <laughs> like there's some newts and salamanders that can say that, but not, but not you. And that's because it's very delicate tissue, and sure enough, it's more lethal than burns on the skin. Five hot air rises. I mean, most people understand this concept. It's not rocket science, but the extremes that you'd experience you in a fire 
you might not understand. And air that's just hot at floor level becomes really hot at eye level. That means that you should stay close to the floor as you try to make your way out of a building. Close to the floor as you, as, as you possibly can. Face down. Breathe the air that's right next to the floor and not higher up. So that's very, very important so that you don't wind up burning your lungs. And, and six, fire needs fuel and it needs oxygen, and that's oxygen, to survive and grow. They need not only, you know, fire needs a log on, in the fireplace to keep going, and it needs oxygen to survive and grow. And people unwittingly feed fires by keeping all sorts of flammable clutter around the house. Remember I said to get rid of the clutter because it can cause you to fall. Well, here's another good reason to get rid of the clutter. Don't give this fire more fuel to keep going. That's so important. And people don't realize that most of the stuff that they have laying around the house is flammable clutter absolutely flammable clutter you have to make sure that you know what's going on that's why we've got amy here uh, is taking a look at this and says oh places a fire hazard and so she's moving all this old stuff out um, don't collect old newspapers or other combustibles and especially don't put them anywhere near a heater or a stove now what are you going to do in case of a fire you got to have a plan of action right made before a fire occurs to greatly increase your chances for survival and you and can indeed do this and you can greatly increase your chances for survival here's some things that you have to consider first off if there's a fire make it clear to everybody there's a fire hit a fire alarm yeah loudly yell the word fire that is the time you know, you're supposed to yell it that's right you <laughs> should previously have identified at least a couple of exits conducted fire drills with your family so they know exactly what to do to get out of the house if you've got a lot of second stories well you might have some of those little rope ladders or other types of ladders that you can buy that can let people get out of the second floor window if they can't otherwise leave the house so get and leave the house that's the biggest <laughs> that's the biggest recommendation get the heck out of there if it's clear the fire isn't the kind that's going to be doused easily by your fire extinguisher and remember you should have more than one placed in susceptible areas don't wait to grab personal items because you may only have seconds to safely leave so you want to know the truth yeah it's just stuff it is just stuff so make sure that you know that you have a number of different items that are personal items and you just have to sacrifice them if that's the case. Uh, get down low and crawl to an exit to be, to be least exposed to this heat and smoke. Cover your nose and mouth with a cloth if you can. Authorities oftentimes suggest wetting a cloth. Uh, it's a good idea if you can do it without delaying your leaving the building. Uh, covering your body with a wool blanket is an option, but don't use a wet one. Remember, when wet, wool conducts heat very quickly and can cause pretty significant burns and scalds. Once you're at the exit, touch the no doorknob or the door itself before opening. If it's very hot, leave it closed and pick another exit. If the door isn't hot, open it slowly. Close it if fire or heavy smoke is present, but the bottom line is to go slow if it's very hot well you know you definitely want to be careful call 911 as soon as you exit the house if you're missing somebody tell the firefighters where they might be located in the building same thing with pets returning to a burning building to search for somebody 
heroic maybe, but also dangerous, may not be the smartest thing you'll ever do. One person was killed, as a matter of fact, when he re-entered a building in a fire in the Bronx recently to look for more victims. Very heroic, very deadly. If someone catches fire, stop, drop, and roll. Stop them immediately. Drop them to the ground. Roll them until the fire's out. You've heard stop, drop, and roll a million times, I'm sure. Uh, smother the flames with a thick towel or a blanket if you possibly can. If you're trapped in the building, well, many people's worst nightmares involve being stuck in a burning building. There are a lot of things that you can do, however, they will give you time until help arrives. Um, first, stay calm. People who are agitated may panic and make decisions that wind up being very bad decisions that lead to very bad outcomes. Do everything possible to let rescue personnel you're there know you're there. Make sure they know you're there. If, if you can communicate with firefighters, make sure they know where you are using either your cell phone or signaling for help from a window. Uh, hang a sheet out may make it obvious where you are. That's another option. Speaking of windows, tear off any window treatments like curtains. These are flammable. They might prevent you from being seen. Make sure your windows are not secured in a fashion that prevents opening them in an emergency. If there's a bathroom or sink, fill it with cold water, soak whatever cloth items are available, use them to block the ventilation duct, turn that turn the ventilation system off, and the spaces under and around doors. If you're in a bathroom or a bedroom, soak the mattress. If you if you're in a bedroom, soak the mattress and put it up against the door, secure it with a chair. If there's a bathroom, there's likely to be an exhaust fan. If it works, you can clear some smoke with it. If you still can't get out of the building and the smoke is building up, wet a towel, cover your nose and mouth with it, grip the towel with your mouth and breathe through your nose. It's a longer route to your lungs. Get down low to the ground and you might be okay. Many deaths and injuries from fire are preventable with a little planning. When it's needed, quick action. Be aware of fire hazards in your home. Work to eliminate them before a disaster strikes. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.